Welcome back, everybody, to the ElfQuest Show podcast. We've got a extra special episode for you guys tonight. Ryan is still off exploring Europe, so I am flying solo. But I've invited another special guest on the show, Tia Vasiliou from Comixology. Hey, Tia. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm thrilled that you could be here tonight because you did something really special at San Diego Comic-Con. And, you know, every year that I go to Comic-Con, I usually do a, an episode of the show. And so this this episode is that for, for this year, for 2017. Before we dive into what you did at San Diego Comic-Con this year, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, kind of what's your ElfQuest story? Well, ElfQuest was really my first comic book I remember uh, I was probably, oh, 11, 12, 13, around there, and I had a little group of friends. Uh, we, uh, you know, we were kind of weird. We were kind of the weird kids, but we really didn't know, I think. It just didn't bother us. We just kind of did our own thing. And so one day, one of my friends showed the rest of us this this book, this book that he, I think, got from like an uncle or a cousin. You know, it sort of came to us from someone else. And we we would sit around and just read it together for hours. And we would, I don't know, make up stories, make up original characters, just talk about it endlessly. It kind of became this all-encompassing thing for us. I remember we would photocopy those pages in the gatherum of the of the blank outlines, you know, we would draw characters. And I think it really insulated us from a lot of the stuff that, you know, young adolescent people go through. It just, uh, it was a really like safe place for us. And so, you know, as I got older, I kind of got interested in other things and got involved in other activities. I, I was a serious dancer and, you know, it, it was always kind of part of my childhood. But then later I came back to comics and it was it was still right there. And I had all of the final quests to catch up on and I kind of just got right back into it. And so uh, it's nice that it's it's even though it's changed a lot, like it's still that been that thing for me, this just sort of safe place really sure yeah so you had a gap then in uh, in reading yes I did how long I, was that oh it, it was a while I you know through college and grad school I especially I just I didn't really have a lot of I don't know I, w I don't want to say a lot of time, but you just you get very self-important when you go to grad school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. And, and I think um, your experience is echoes many, many people that are ElfQuest fans today that, um, you know, I mean, you, a, a lot of us started reading as as kids sort of, you know, sort of in that 10, 11, 12 year old range. You you, you get older comic books maybe aren't cool or you're just slammed with with college or grad school or you know uh you know maybe you don't have a budget because you know you're right. a starving student or you're just starting out and you know all the things that um were kind of indulgences before you just can't afford and so you know people just sometimes lapse and um, but it's awesome when people rediscover elfquest now for me I um I, if I didn't have if I didn't get to eat I was still going to buy my elf quests. So <laughs> I have um pretty much been consistently reading ever since I was ten years old many 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 years ago. But I, I I love to hear that experience when people kind of rediscover and and yeah absolutely ElfQuest has has evolved and changed um you know the look of it and I think the storytelling and all of that um has 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 evolved 
with with time and you know it's kept current and everything and so um yeah. it's just really neat to hear when when people do rediscover it and and are able to do what you were just saying which is come kind of right back in and and just feel right at home as part of the tribe yeah i mean being feeling part of the tribe i think is a main component for me it started out as this intensely social thing you know it was me and my two best friends and then uh, you know, one of them moved away and, you know, one of them got involved in different activities that I was doing in school. And so the group kind of drifted apart. And then I think that, you know, later on as an adult, when I I made new ElfQuest friends, and that was also part of what brought me back into it was having another little tribe to kind of join. Definitely, for sure. And I found that um, you know, the internet is something that has has, for me at least anyway, has really helped create that because you know, growing up, I didn't have, I was introduced to ElfQuest by, um, by a friend and he wasn't a diehard fan. He had a few of the books and I, I, that's how I sort of was introduced to it. And then I became super diehard. And of course, you know, I made all of my other friends read it and I made my sisters read it. And there's, there was always an appreciation there and an enjoyment, but none of them really kind of became a hardcore fan. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I was in college in the nineties, this little thing called the internet happened. (laughs) um, And so I can remember the like utter thrill of discovering the, the eQuest L listserv. Now, for those of you um, who don't know what listservs are, um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they were something that came about, again, I think in the 90s, and they were kind of email groups. So you subscribe to it, and you send an email to, to one common address, and then everybody that has subscribed gets that email. So this was you know, the, the very earliest forms, I think, of social media. And um, I can remember um, you know, going into our student center and logging in on the communal computers, because I didn't even have my own computer at that point and discovering the the listserv and participating there and just how crazy and mind-blowing it was that I finally had other ElfQuest fans to talk to. And boy, did we talk. I I probably <laughs> wrote like, you know, giant tome amounts of information on that listserv over the course of, you know, five or six years before it kind of began to fade and then chat rooms came about or um, uh, like uh, Yahoo groups and things like that. And for a while... The, there was some activity going on there with ElfQuest. And then ultimately it bled into, you know, forums and um, those kind of had their heyday, I would say, what, in the, the mid, uh, or, you know, first decade of the 2000s. And yeah. Then, and then, you know, the, the behemoth Facebook came around and really kind of everybody kind of migrated over there. And I think that's kind of where we are today. I mean, there's still a lot of there's still some forums hanging on out there, and I don't know. I don't know that there are many non-professional listservs still out there that people use for fandoms. But um, you know, there's Reddit, and there is an ElfQuest group on Reddit. There's Twitter, and there's a lot of folks on Twitter that are into ElfQuest. There's uh, Instagram. Um, so anyway, it's just interesting how fans find a way to connect. Right. Yeah. Right. And I I think that. You know, it's it's interesting to me how social dynamics play such a crucial role in all of the stories in ElfQuest. You know, I mean, it's it's a huge ensemble cast and it's about coexisting and finding your place in the world and making connections. And that's really the the lived experience of people who are interested in, in ElfQuest. They, I think, I don't know, can... Well, we talked about this on the panel, and I guess mm-hmm. we'll get into this later. But, you know, it's just such a – you learn a lot from ElfQuest, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, okay, so you brought up the panel. Let's um, let's start talking about that. So, so Tia, you and Matt Kalowski of Comixology put on a panel at San Diego Comic-Con called ElfQuest, An Intimate Conversation with Wendy and Richard Peeney. So I, I want to hear all about how that came to be, um, you know, what the process was. But before we get into that, I think let's explain to folks what Comixology is, if, in case they're not aware. It is basically a, a digital platform to buy and read comics. We have, uh, you know, thousands upon thousands of comics from all of the publishers that you could ever want to discover. We uh, have a subscription service. This is right now in the U.S. only, but it's uh, called Comicsology Unlimited. There's uh, the final quest, I it believe, is included in Comicsology Unlimited, and you uh, get a 30-day free trial, and then it's six bucks a month after that to read. Uh, pretty, I think that it's got over 10,000 titles in it. So, uh, other, you know, and then you could just you buy comics and you have them on your. On your device, you could read them on your iPad, your Kindle, your phone, you can read them on the web. And so, you know, for me, what's really special about Comixology is I think that it is uh, bringing comics to people who either don't have access to comic shops or maybe didn't they didn't even know that that comics were for them. Maybe they didn't feel like comic shops were a place where they wanted to hang out or were able to hang out. And now, you know, just everything's just kind of at your fingertips. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like it has like gone a, a long way towards kind of democratizing comics a little bit. Yeah, I think that um, that definitely is one of the coolest things about Comicsology, and there, partly why I asked is that. Um, I think a lot of ElfQuest fans are pretty diehard, you know, tangible paper book right. <laughs> types, right? And so mm-hmm. um, for many ElfQuest fans, the um, when, when the final quest started um, and, you know, it's published by Dark Horse and only recently did Dark Horse kind of, uh, you know, negotiate a deal with Comixology for Dark Horse books to be carried there prior to, I don't know, maybe a year or so ago, it, um, Dark Horse had its own digital platform, which they still do today. And so if I think, you know, if ElfQuest fans, as generally speaking, of course, um, are familiar with the digital platform, it's probably the Dark Horse platform um, and not Comixology. And so that's why I wanted to um, just make sure that folks knew that um, you know, the, the, you have multiple options now. And the thing about Comixology is that it's not, you know, unlike the Dark Horse app, which is just Dark Horse books, if you are into comics, which again, not 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 every other ElfQuest fan out there reads anything other than ElfQuest. So yeah, but if, yeah. You, if you are into multiple titles, you know, like I read a bunch of different things. Um, and so it's really nice to be able to have, you know, one platform where you can have all of the different titles that you collect Um you know, an ElfQuest and and stuff from other publishers and whatever, right in one place. Um, now, of course, a lot of people started their ElfQuest digital collection over on Dark Horse and probably want to continue that. But I am a huge um, advocate for exploring the you know digital comics, and here's why. I too love to have you know sort of a physical book in my hand and feel the paper and flip the page and smell the ink and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I absolutely buy the actual floppy uh, editions of the comics and the graphic novels and everything. But I, you know, I gave digital a try and I honestly fell in love with it. And for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
the art is it's it, you know it's done digitally and it just it looks so beautiful and vibrant on the screen with that lighting and i just i i love that about it i love the fact that you can you basically can either read it as if you were looking at a comic book page you know where you see the entire page and then you you know you hit the hit the screen and it flips the page or you can read it essentially panel by panel and that is a completely different reading experience that's much more akin to almost like a motion comic or like a mini limited animation kind of thing because the screen actually moves and it kind of takes you to where your eye is supposed to go. And um, again, it's just a different reading experience than if you're reading an actual book. Another thing that I, I love about the digital comics is the fact that you can essentially get it instantaneously. And right. this, is, this is one that I really want to emphasize because uh, right along with the points, Tia, that you were making about something like Comixology democratizing uh, comics, a lot of ElfQuest fans don't live near a comic book store. And it's always sort of angsty when the new issue comes out because they're like, oh, I have to wait three <laughs> weeks until I can drive three hours to the comic book store. And, 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 you know, just the issue of not feeling welcome in comic book stores. I think a lot of ElfQuest fans have had similar experiences where they're not comfortable in the, the superhero vibe, kind of boy-dominated vibe that yeah. um, doesn't appeal and it doesn't really describe a lot of ElfQuest fans. And so so because of those reasons, you know, pr- you know inacc- inaccessibility to a comic book store, not feeling comfortable, but also, guys, instant gratification you literally can press a button and get it right there you can even subscribe and then it just lets you know when it's available like it just so you can just download it the second that it's available you don't even have to remember to go buy it it just you know takes care of it for you totally yeah yeah and and then the fourth reason and and this is uh probably my last one but is that i can take elf quest with me everywhere i go um, as as listeners of this podcast know, I do a lot of travel for work for you know, my quote unquote real job at the National Wildlife Federation. So I'm constantly on the road. I'm constantly on a plane, on a train, and the ability to you know be waiting to in an airport to catch my flight or you know sitting on the Amtrak um, and to be able to just click a few buttons and read my entire ElfQuest collection is pretty freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, you're not taking those 700 page tomes with you, right. you know. Yeah, um, the, yeah. These are some great points, and uh, if I I just could just fill in a, f- a few things. Sure. Uh, so first, I would say, you know, I I w- when I first started reading, I just read ElfQuest. I wasn't really reading any other comics either, and I think that. One of the nice things about Comixology, because we don't have to really worry about where am I going to store all of this, all these titles, you know, how am I going to merchandise them? How am I going to display them? You know, what if there's only one person who wants to buy this comic and I've ordered 10 of them? You know, like we don't have to worry about any of that. And it enables us to carry a lot of indie publishers, a lot of self. We have a submit program. So, uh creators can self-publish their work on Comixology. And what this really lets us do is just have a huge, diverse array of content. And so if people are really into ElfQuest, but they're not really into comics, I, I think that just sort of nosing around some of the submit publishers on the indie tab on Comixology, I, you know, there's stuff that I think you would never necessarily think comics does but it does like it it does everything yeah you know let me give you one perfect example of that because that is a a brilliant point that i didn't even think about i i do exactly that i poke around on comiXology periodically just to see what comes up and i discovered this awesome comic called uh, war of the woods about a bunch of 
wild animals that band together in the New Jersey Pine Barrens to fight an alien invasion. Now, <laughs> just as one example of the like incredibly weird and bizarre and amazing things that you could find that, you know, frankly, maybe don't have, you know, the, enough commercial viability in, in a similar way to ElfQuest when it first started, when Marvel and DC sure, yeah. said, you know, that's too weird. We don't want to do it. Um, and so Wendy and Richard, of course, as we all know, kind of embarked on the self-publishing and, and kind of started a, a movement um, or were key players in a, in a big movement of independent publishers. Well, the game has changed in, a, in the sense that, like you said, because of comicsology, um, all these other creators can follow in the path of Wendy and Richard, but maybe with a lot less um, you know, hurdles that they had to go, go through. So that's pretty cool. And also, we just launched a, a widget on the on the main page where, so if you go and um, open a you know open a new browser, so it doesn't uh, register any of your previous clicking around, and just click on ElfQuest, and then you know refresh and go back to that that first section in the main page, and it will recommend a bunch of titles for you that other people who bought ElfQuest we're we're looking at so it's kind of like a more of a a more personalized row of recommendations for you and um you know also i i will point out because uh you know i um i'm really i'm really involved in you know the idea that there's a comic for everyone and that everyone's welcome in the space and and if you really feel like you want to check out a comic shop and you're not really sure how or where to go, you can go on Twitter and tweet at the um, local comic shop Valkyries, which are an amazing organization of women who work in comic shops. And they'll help you find a comic shop that's a little maybe more uh, friendly to diverse audiences or not quite so good old boys club kind of place. I, I so can say that again. So where do you go to do that? Because I this is something new to me too. Oh yeah. So there, uh, it's a group called the Valkyries, and their Twitter handle I think is LCS Valkyries. So uh, you know there are all sorts of reasons why I would encourage people to check out Comicsology. I was a reader on Comicsology before I worked there, and I really like for all of the reasons that you said and uh, and more. There, you know, I think that digital. And print really work together. And, you know, people who buy digital comics, I think still buy, I still buy print comics, you know, you still, you know, so, but there are just a lot of really good reasons why it's, you know, it's handy to have. And, uh, you know, but for, for people who still want to check out a shop, there, there are ways, there are ways to find shops that, that will be, uh, friendly, where the staff will help you find what you want, and it's not just superheroes out right. there. Yeah, yeah, and again, as I mentioned, I, I definitely um, frequently see stories from other fans where you know they went into a comic shop and they asked for ElfQuest, and you know the comic owner either wasn't familiar with it and said, "Oh, that that was in the '80s," or you know, yeah, yeah, or I did a. We we don't carry that, and and they're like, "Well, I'm willing to give you my money," you know, and they just right. had a bad experience. Yeah, so I. I did a panel at Emerald City Comic Con back in March. We we called it SelfQuest, and it was uh, a group of comics professionals talking about how ElfQuest had kind of influenced them in their careers. And everyone had an experience where they went into a comic shop and had a bad experience when they were trying to buy ElfQuest. And, you know, I never had that. I, I was so lucky that we had this, you know, person in our lives who was willing to share their collection with us when we were kids. Right. And then 
and then later when I came back to it, I was, you know, pretty, pretty much reading digitally for geographical reasons. And also just because, you know, like you said, I really liked the guided view, which, which now incidentally is my actual job at Comixology. I do, I do the guided view. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Good job. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like that's such a, a common refrain among ElfQuest fans is just having trouble buying it in shops and, you know, to just click that little subscribe button on Comixology and you'll always have it first thing. And then, yeah. you know, you can pick up the issues later for your collection and so, keep them keep them preserved forever. You never have to get your fingers on them. You can just <laughs> read it on digital and then have your collection. Yeah. That, no, that's really cool because I, I always wondered how how the the guided reading experience happened, and I figured that there was somebody making those decisions, looking at the page and saying, "Okay, we're going to start here. Click one takes you here. Click two takes you there." So, um, so that's really neat that that's what you do. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so rare that a comic is a grid, right? And yeah. and these beautiful layouts that that you frequently see in ElfQuest than other comics, you know, there, there has to be someone with an art background or with a, you know, with a comics sequential narrative sort of background who can say, this is, this is the way that this story is being told and everything from the layout to the order of the panels, you know, tells that story along with the dialogue and the um and the drawings absolutely yeah and and you're right i mean wendy definitely does not use just a traditional panel to panel grid um you know she very much so has a, kind of a diversity of, of page yeah, layouts that she yeah. uses and so um so yeah that's definitely got to be a, a little bit of a challenge um for you but um, but still, it's a fun I, challenge. Yeah, yeah. You know, one other thing about digital comics that I like that I forgot to mention. Um, and Wendy, if you're listening to this, cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that we can, you know, it allows you to zoom in on the art. And um, the reason I, I, I joke about Wendy covering her ears is that I know that uh, that sometimes drives her crazy when when us fans, you know, zoom in on one tiny little piece of background art, and we're like how come I don't see the stitching on Moonshade's tunic? Oh, no. And she's like, for the love of God. You know? <laughs> it's a, Use it, your imaginations, people. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that's one aspect of, uh, of the digital age that I think drives Wendy a little nuts. But it does allow you to really get a, a really close-up look at some of the art in a way that you just can't do with a physical copy. And I really you know, enjoy yeah. that. And some people don't have... They don't have an e-reader or an iPad. They may not even have a laptop. Maybe they just have their phone. And you can't read a full comic page on your phone. You have to be able to zoom in right. in order to make it legible. So, you know, it 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 becomes almost an accessibility component as well. We've had fans tell us that they had given up comics because their eyesight had gotten so poor and then you know being able to read digitally and zoom in and reading guided view actually helped them you know read comics again so there are a lot yeah it's really touching that that there's this accessibility component as well as just having it be a neat reading experience yeah that's another thing that i never would have thought of um and so yeah how fantastic is that so Let's talk about this panel that you pulled together. Um, okay. <laughs> so I have to say, I, um, you know, I blew into Comic-Con. I got up in the middle of the night because I was working and speaking in North Carolina out in the mountains. And, you know, I, it took me forever to get there. But I got there early on the first day on um, Thursday. 
And I didn't really know anything about this panel other than that I saw that Wendy and Richard posted that they were going to be on it. So I'm curious how, you know, again, Dark Horse and then more recently ElfQuest, you know, the Dark Horse ElfQuest books have made their way into Comixology. But it's, again, fairly recent. Um, And I only knew that because, again, I use Comixology. And so I poke around and I discovered that it was there. So how did, I mean, maybe even start there, like how did... ElfQuest get into Comixology, and then how did you guys decide, out of all the gajillion things you could have done a panel on a a (laughs) Comic-Con, to pick ElfQuest to be the focus? Well, we were just brainstorming about how we could use that that panel time. It's uh, at the San Diego Public Library, which is, you know, maybe a 10-minute walk away from the convention center through this little cute downtown area. And it can sometimes be a challenge to to get an audience at these. The the the, the show has panel programming at a few rem, not remote locations, but kind of off site locations at the hotels nearby and things like that. And so, you know, we just were sort of thinking, if we're going to ask people to take this little walk for us to come to our panel, what can we offer them that's going to make it really worth it? And so we were all just kind of brainstorming and throwing out ideas that would make us want to do that. And so, you know, I just kind of was like, let's do a spotlight on Wendy and Richard Peeney because, you know, they're some of my favorite people in comics. And everyone kind of went, yeah, actually, that sounds great. Let's do that. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So we work with some amazing PR and PR folks and they just they got right on it. And the next thing I knew this panel was happening and, you know, we also were able to uh, host a signing for Wendy and Richard at our booth. We had the exclusive Comixology all-star trading card that, we, you know, so they, they had their own trading card now. And yes. we, yeah, you know, so we were, we just kind of, you know, brought them into the, the whole fold of our, of our programming, which, which was really successful. You know, the, the, there was a, a nice turnout for the panel. It was lovely. We had really amazing audience engagement and there were, you know, the booth signing was, went really well and the peenies I think had a, had a nice time. So it was, it was all in all, I think a really successful. Well, awesome. And I, I, I know that Wendy and Richard had a really great time because they told me so. Oh, good. Um, yeah, <laughs> they, uh, they really thought the panel went, went well and they were really pleased with the turnout at the signing at the Comixology booth. Tell us about that trading card. So, I mean, I think this was this is our third. Yeah, this is our third series that we've done. It was just a really great idea that our PR folks had last year. Uh, and I, it harkens back. There used to be the, uh, comic creator cards. The most notorious, I think, is the uh, McFarlane shirtless baseball bat one, which uh, last New York Comic Con, Chip Zdarsky did a spoof of for his uh, trading cards. So um, it kind of harkens back to to a, a, the sort of, I guess, 80s, 90s comic book heyday. And they've just, they've been really popular. They're a nice little collectible. And, you know, you could kind of collect your favorites, you could collect them all. 
we had some special cards this year that were uh, Kevin Smith picks. And then, but for the most part, we just, we try really hard to have a diverse range of creators represented and not just in terms of identity, but also what they do in comics. You know, we particularly this year tried to make sure that that colorists were rep- were well represented. I think uh, people, yeah. people don't realize, I, I always say colorists are like the bass players of comics like pick any song that's cool and it's because of the baseline but they don't you know they're not the front man they don't always get the credit so you know um it's just i think a neat way to to really acknowledge the great work that that creators do well again i'm I'm pretty certain that uh, wendy and richard were tickled and i get the sense that richard in particular really thought the card was, was cool so and you um, just did stick it in your holiday cards this year yeah. right send it to all your family i don't know i've i i got one and i had them sign it and i'm gonna put it in a little case and put it on my my uh, the desk where i'm sitting right now with all of my other cool elf quest stuff surrounding me yeah um, you have to get some kind of like double-sided open frame so that you could read the back because on, on the back of the trading cards it has like a fun fact about the creator uh, some of them are very silly and others are are just really neat little, you know, tidbits of information. I'm, I'm glad you said that because I actually, mine's still in the little, um, you know, slipcase. I have, yeah. um, I actually, I'm still going through all of my post Comic-Con stuff that I got. So I need to, I need to do that. Now, I know a lot of people um, are wondering this question and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you, is this available for anybody else that wasn't at Comic-Con to get, or was it just purely a con exclusive? It's a con exclusive. Yeah. So I don't know if you, uh, look online, maybe you might be able to find them. Okay. Well, we do have, you know, there's a pretty robust, uh, group of folks, um, on Facebook that, uh, really are focused on, on on collections and there's a group called ElfQuest Collectors Unite run by Mandy Ricalia Meyer who is really awesome about helping fans track down rare uh, you know ElfQuest memorabilia and all that good stuff so hopefully um, these will turn up and folks can get them but you know something sometimes it's nice to have something that isn't uh, sort of mass produced and it's just sort of a little rarity it gives you know diehard collectors something to kind of work at. You know, yeah, you always have to have a white whale. It makes life interesting, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go back to the actual panel. So um, so number one, thank you for suggesting that you, uh, you know, <laughs> do, do an ElfQuest theme panel or a Wendy and Richard Peeney panel because um, it really was a, a great panel. Um, I've, you know, I've, I've sat in on a lot of ElfQuest panels or panels that Wendy and Richard have participated in. And generally, they've all been good. I don't think I've ever been to a bad one. But there was something about this one that um, just made it special. And and I, I will also say um, or share the, the disappointment that I know you guys felt over the fact that we were supposed to have a recording of the panel and due to a technical issue, it never actually recorded. And I share that because I, you know, I, lots of fans were asking for it. And frankly, it's a big part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. So you and I can kind of maybe rehash a little bit about what went on at the panel, but um, thank you for being willing to record it in the first place. And, and um, don't kick yourself over the fact that it didn't, (laughs) because trust me, doing this podcast has taught me that Technology is hard. <laughs> so it is hard. Sometimes, <laughs> it took us like 10 minutes to start. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it just, um, it, you know, it, it, it doesn't work. 
and it it sucks and it's the but it's the reality so luckily you know again we're doing this and and you and i can kind of recap a little bit but um what i wanted to say is that i think the thing that made it so special is the fact that you and and matt were you know were ElfQuest fans and knew a little bit about it and asked really great questions that it wasn't just the same how did you get started um you know which i know again i've heard wendy and richard say that you know they're they're tired of answering those questions sure. frankly, because that's you know there's only so many times you can tell their the, the story before it becomes totally boring to you and there's a gajillion interviews out there online and in print that talk about that and so you guys didn't really dwell on those same old same old questions you kind of you know went into you know some of your own personal uh, points of view and and questions about final quest and everything so i don't know maybe um like, how did you come up with the questions that you ask? And if you can remember any of them, maybe let's let's share them with the audience. And sure. Talk yeah, about I have my I have my notes that Matt and I had prepared beforehand, so we can probably recreate it pretty accurately. But basically, I knew that if people were going to come out on a ten minute walk on the on the first day of Comic Con away from the convention center to this panel, they were already gonna be ElfQuest fans and they already knew all of the ElfQuest one oh one stuff and and yeah, and basically there just wasn't really any any reason that we would need to dwell on that, that everyone would be there for the intimate conversation part and not the how did you come up with ElfQuest part. So that's why we decided that we were going to just dive a little bit deeper, basically. Very smart thinking. <laughs> and I think it paid off. I think that that ended up being the case. We got there, and right away in the front row, there's this beautiful woman cosplaying Cutter. Yep. We were like, okay, yeah, we made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was going to bring them up. It, um, f- funny story. Um, I, I got to the library, and the previous panel was still going on. You and you guys at Wendy and Richard were not there yet. And so I ran into the restroom to take care of business. And <laughs> who should I bump into in there but um, uh, a Jedi, a guy cosplaying sure. as a Jedi. And of course, I was wearing my Elfquest t-shirt, and he immediately noticed it as soon as I walked in. And he said, oh, ElfQuest. He's like, oh, the, like, the panel is going to be happening. I was like, yeah. And I said, you know, Wendy and Richard will be here shortly and everything. And, and, and you know, he shared that his daughter was cosplaying Cutter and how, you know, he grew up or, you know, he, he, he was an ElfQuest reader when he was younger and is still a fan. And he introduced his daughter to it when she was a little kid. And she's now in college and she's now a fan. And it was just a really cool, you know, sort of intergenerational story. And I, so I had to tell him, I was like, you know, let's chat when I'm done going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I, I joked on Facebook that, um, of course, took the opportunity to remind him that ElfQuest is on online. It's, it's you know, the website and all the online groups, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and this podcast and everything. And I, I joked that, uh, you know, there's no place even in the men's room that I will not shamelessly promote ElfQuest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so another thing that made me try really hard to come up with more, I don't know, uh, I don't want to say advanced questions, but questions that would maybe get them to talk about things in a way that isn't the the kind of prepared answers that they have for the, the questions they get all the time. I do a lot of interviews at conventions with creators, and I feel like sometimes you get the same answers out of them 
no matter what you ask. That they're very, you know, because they do a lot of interviews and they have their talking points. And, yeah. you know, I've I've had there are certain creators who I feel like they they take control of the interview and they just, you know, that they say their talking points. And I was worried that interviewing uh, Wendy and Richard, who have been doing this for so long, that you know I didn't want that to happen. And I thought one way that we can maybe shift the conversation to something a little different is to be is for me to be more personal you know because if I'm being more personal I I felt like that would sort of steer the conversation away from talking points yeah I think and again it it worked Um, you know it's funny because uh, you know what I do in my um, you know my my sort of again quote unquote real job the one that pays me um, is (laughs) you know I'm I I do media interviews um, to promote wildlife conservation so when you know when you talk about sometimes you know you're doing an interview and the person you're interviewing is saying their their talking points like I'm like yes like that's how it's supposed to work right um, because I'm usually the one being asked the questions and I have messages that I need to get out and so the good thing is is that Wendy and Richard because they you know they are even though they're working with Dark Horse and they've worked with the other other big publishers DC and Marvel they they remain their you know kind of their own bosses and so they're much less for lack of a better word, corporate that I think many yeah. other creators that you might encounter who, you know, who are answerable to, you know, a, a larger company that is, that is, you know, their boss essentially. And, um, and that have PR teams that are sending them down doing media trainings and giving them specific talking points and telling them do not deviate from this. And so Wendy and Richard are, uh, have been doing this for a long time and um, are, they're, they're just so authentic. Um, you don't really get any of that kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, corporate kind of vibe off of them when you talk to them about ElfQuest. Absolutely. And you know, when, when you start talking about how ElfQuest uh, was, was such a formative influence on you personally in terms of your, your sexuality or your gender identity or your outlook on the world, there, don't, there really isn't a corporate answer to that, you right. know, if, and, <laughs> Uh, that was one of the things that we talked about, you know, the, there, I, one of the questions that, that I asked them was just that, you know, all of the people I know who read ElfQuest, the, the really open, positive kind of, uh, worldview that's expressed in the book was really important to them, especially growing up, you know, you, not everybody is growing up in environments where these things are being are being taught to them and where they're being uh, encouraged to have an open mind and look at different viewpoints. And, you know, so I wanted to know if this was purposefully baked into the story, you know, some creators, they'll sort of disavow any kind of political or social message in their book and they'll say, Oh, it's just the work. And you know, whatever you read into the work, that's great. But Wendy and Richard, they, they took a lot of ownership of that, and and I, I think that it was really, uh, it made me fe- feel like I put my faith in the right people when they said that that was something that they felt strongly about, that it was important to them. If that was the impact their book had made on the world, that it was worthwhile to them. Yeah, no, that was really powerful, and yeah, certainly. 
um, you know, you have to walk that fine line, um, especially in a fantasy story. And I know that Wendy and Richard put a lot of thought into this and how they execute those kinds of things that in some way, shape or form, make a statement about events in the real world. And the, the sensitivity that you have to have creating a, you know, a, a, a fantasy story and a, and a fantasy story that they really want to keep um, accessible to people of all ages. And it's this fine line of like representing the world that the ideal world that they both would like to see. And they've always said that about ElfQuest, that it's kind of it represents, you know, a group of people treating each other as best as they can without a lot of the taboos and prejudices that that we suffer from in the real world it's sort of an idealized version of the world doing that in a way you know just the act of doing that is going to have real world real life readers make connections to things that maybe are a little controversial or political or whatever so it's this delicate line of of doing that in a meaningful way and also not having it hijack your story and right. i am you know Wendy and Richard do such a good job at that and, you know, Wendy talked a little bit about that in her reply. Um, and I, I don't know if you had, if you remembered anything specific that she said, but one thing that I remember her saying was, you know, something about the fact that, you know, sure, the, 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 the elves and the characters in ElfQuest kind of present as male or female, um, but that, you know, inside they're, they're, they're pretty much totally fluid. And so, you know, just as far as gender identity goes, and I mean, even if you look at the the, the character designs, you know, they are really, um, especially for a comic book, they're such, uh, for lack of a better word, warping, <laughs> and I mean that in a good <laughs> sense of 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 kind of like you know, gender stereotype and gender, um, you know, look. I mean, look at all the the male characters with their you know big, beautiful eyes and yeah, flowing yeah. hair, you know? And, and so Wendy, just in her character design alone, is challenging a lot of, at least uh, in the West, you know, kind of like the norms of gender and, and, and especially the norms of what, what men are supposed to look like and act like in comic books. Well, I love that she pointed out at one point that, you know, people always assume that she and Richard are, are Cutter and Lita, but that really she feels like she is the cutter and Richard is her skywise. Yes. And I feel like uh putting herself into the the male characters is part of maybe what opens their identities up a little bit and you know but the whole the whole idea of of openness and open-mindedness that was something that they talked about a, a few times as being really integral. There was one point where Matt asked them you know, why comics? Why not a movie? Why not TV? And, you know, they basically just said that there's no black and white. There's no good and evil. You know, everything is very, it, it's complex. And uh, that was a, a, a big reason why they wanted full control over it and to do it in this graphic novel format, because it, it enabled them to avoid those kind of dichotomies or, and those expectations of good good versus evil and the winners and the losers and so on. Right, which would be shackled onto them if they were, you know, going with a TV production or a movie or something that, um, you know, was controlled by Hollywood or a, a TV studio or something. And um, yeah, no, and, and, and that actually came up too because I think somebody asked the, uh, the the other like universal question that always gets asked <laughs> like, when's there going to be a movie? And that's right. their response is like when Hollywood can get it right, when they don't try to boil it down into a very simple 
good guys versus bad guys and can somehow figure out a way to capture this nuanced gray world that Wendy and Richard have created where, you know, there, yes, there are sort of good guys, um, you know, heroes and villains, but it's done in, in, in a way that has enough subtlety to it where, you know, there's always sort of a motivation that isn't just like, again, a black and white, like I'm a bad guy. Like even someone like Winnow Will, who has really kind of grown from, um, you know, kind of a troubled, mentally ill person, maybe to someone who embraces her, her rejection of love and has become kind of an uber villain. There's still a narrative there. And there's a character yeah. development and um, in a way that's not just like, because she's bad, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, and that was another thing I wanted to talk with them about, because especially when I came back to it and was and I was like, Oh, my God, the babies are grown up and doing their <laughs> own thing. And just like everybody grew up and everybody changed. And, and, you know, like Strongbow, who, if there is anyone who I feel like is your like, very staunch conservative uncle who will never change his mind about anything, like even Strongbow is changing is, is like, evolving his his beliefs in some way like you know I really wanted them to uh, kind of I don't know talk about the decision to let people people elves (laughs) elves are people too (laughs) elves are people too yes uh grow and change throughout this story rather than keeping them kind of in the superhero bubble of like perpetual you know time we're kind of frozen in time and 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 they brought it back to this theme of, you know, openness and change and that there is that there isn't one thing or the other, you know, fluidity and uh, evolution is important. And it's something that they wanted to 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 reflect in the story uh, as a, as you said, as a sort of idealized version of of how things can be. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, think about think about if they didn't make that decision, you know, early on that they wanted to have this be a progressive story that that where the characters changed and grew, you know, think about if if ElfQuest was just like everything was happening in one time frame. And and um, I don't know, it just would be a very different thing. I think that it would be much less sophisticated to be honest you know because as you said like i i can see where they make choices to keep it accessible to a a wide range of ages it's not all adult even though there are sometimes very you know sexually provocative moments Mm -hmm. it's never salacious it's never exploitative and i think on the other end of that if you keep everybody really static that's just a much more immature approach i think given the kind of story that they're trying to tell yeah i completely agree and um and the other thing too it's it's like it's like um there might be some kind of literary term for this but i don't know it so i'm just going to try to explain what i mean but it's it's like true in story too in the sense that if you if you're creating a cast of characters that can live you know at a minimum for thousands of years if not forever if they didn't change if they didn't find a life mate after knowing this person for 800 years if if they right. weren't allowed that kind of change and growth like they like it just doesn't make sense from i mean in a realistic sense right like somebody that can live that long has got to be able to go through a metamorphosis or a change or see something that they've again been seeing for centuries in a totally new light, you know, Strongbow and Moonshade are another great example of that in Final Quest. Yes. 
breaks my heart. I and then oh god, and then Wendy's like, "Wait till you read the next volume," and I'm like, "Why? Why? <laughs> why are uh, you doing this to me?" <laughs> I know. I, I, that's when I just use my word "wicked." Yeah, because they are both very wicked in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, you know, mortality and and ta- the passage of time, those are those are elements that you need in the kind of detailed world building that they have, cre- you know, really used in this story. There, it would be much harder to suspend disbelief and fully enter the world if it resets every five issues. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it's just another thing I think that makes ElfQuest, you know, fairly unique. But just by default, you get these these sort of universe reboots in the superhero world or, you know, frankly, even the Star Wars universe where all of the 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 um, the legends um, I'm blanking on the, right, yeah. the, the, the original term, the expanded universe, which then became legends when Disney took over so they could continue telling stories that weren't reliant on stuff that people wrote 20 years ago. Right. So they could keep it fresh. And I totally get that. And I think it was the right decision for them. But the fact that ElfQuest has managed to um, under Wendy and Richard's um, you know, sort of uh, uh, their guidance and their wisdom and their foresight has been able to sustain itself for 40 years without ever really having to do that. Now, certainly, especially with a lot of the stuff that um, was done in the 90s with lots of other creative people involved, um, you know, in Final Quest, Wendy and Richard have kind of shifted the story a little bit and, and, and you know, kind of made a few details here and there, not canon. And I think that's totally, again, to be expected for something this big and this epic and this old you know 40 years is a long time for one title to be going and have the same two people be shepherding it and telling that that you know that consistent story so you know i think it it makes sense but they've never had to do like a total reboot you know and i think that's it's pretty phenomenal it really really speaks to i think you know wendy in particular her her vision you know as a storyteller that for 40 years, the story has been going on and, and it's felt very, you know, immediate and it's felt very real for people. And, you know, you could, you could just immerse yourself in it. And that it just speaks, I think, to her profound talent, really. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let me ask you a question. We, um, we, we talked a little bit a minute ago um, about how ElfQuest has changed over these last 40 years, um, you know, the art style and, and, you know, to a degree, the storytelling and things like that. And um, I'm curious for someone that, um, you know, that did have sort of a gap in reading um, mm-hmm. and maybe has a little bit more perspective on this than say someone like me that has just been consistently an addict since the beginning um, is, I, I, it seems to me that, that the, the way that Wendy and Richard are telling the final quest is, is is significantly different than like previous stories, just in terms of, I don't know. uh, I I feel like the previous stories were a lot more uh, maybe ground grounded. And that final quest is dealing with the like much bigger kind of concepts, like your, like your own sense of self and these big, big decisions of life decisions. And I, I, and I don't really, I don't really know what they all are. And I don't think we will until the whole thing is said and done. We can kind of read, read it all in one fell swoop, which is something Wendy has said on multiple occasions that she recognizes that final quest is kind of a hard story for readers. And that, um, that 
it's really meant to be understood when it's concluded and you can kind of go back to the beginning and read through it again. But I'm curious if you had any thoughts on that. Again, as somebody who came back to ElfQuest and and dove into Final Quest, um, so just I'll I'll shut up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that that's actually a really great question, particularly because when I started reading, it was you know the black and white versions and it was in huge 700 page chunks and switching to a monthly full color and, and actually, and digital, I read, I read final quest digital. Uh, it, it is, it's like these little bite sized glittering bits of the story that you sort of string along, like, like a, a strand of, of beads almost, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, in terms of in terms of the art style and the themes, I do feel like abstract isn't the right word, but I I see the particularly I think the layout and the color it's like just slightly off of real whereas I th- I felt like the original and the black and white uh you know the it, grounded was is a really good word for that. Yeah. I think in the original quest, uh, for sure, where a Wendy had you know twice as much time between issues as she does now with Final Quest, but also I think you know she was in her twenties, and I think I, I think she's even said this you know she was like crazy you know she would take on these the this incredible amount of detail and and re- an element of realism, especially as the original quest kind of went went along. I think the first couple issues still had a lot of um, uh, cartoon distortion to them. And then as you got into the, the quest beginning and especially into the Blue Mountain phase and also the, the, the Troll War, too. But even within the quest, Wendy's art changed um, from like two or three times. You know, if you look at it, you can compare the characters and there's just there's a different style going in there. But the level of detail that she put in there um, and, and the inking and, and you know, it, it is kind of crazy to think about anybody doing that and she was painting both the front and the back covers i know and they're so gorgeous i you know i i feel like the in in final quest it's almost it's almost more high fantasy uh-huh. in the in the sense that it feels like you really get the sense that some of the parts are happening in an, in an otherworldly sense in your imagination yeah well, I, I think a lot of that does have to do with the um, how digital art presents and digital coloring. Because no, absolutely. There is by default, uh, like almost like a lighter, like an airiness and like an ethereal quality, I feel, to, to digital coloring. Um, it's very luminous. It's luminous. That's the exact word. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and honestly, when I go back and I look at you know uh, printed versions, you know, colored versions of ElfQuest compared to what I'm seeing color-wise in, in the digital art and Final Quest, it's, you know, I like the, the the luminosity is so perfect for ElfQuest. You know, maybe that wouldn't work for another comic, but for, for ElfQuest, it fits perfectly. But yeah, I, I don't, I'm not an artist, so I, I could be a really off base <laughs> about this. But I, I wonder if that has to do with if you're coloring a page with markers or with paints, uh, you know, things can get muddy. You, yeah. and, whereas if you're coloring digitally, the color stays exactly the color that you chose. Well, I, I, I'm not, you know, well-versed in digital arts either. And, but I know that Wendy has consistently said that 
ever since she started working digitally almost 20 years ago, it has thrilled her because she always wanted to be able to paint with light. And yeah, that's yeah. what painting digitally allows. So, um, so yeah, I think I think I think you're onto something there. I, I do want to give a shout out to Sunny Strait, um, who is the colorist for Final Quest. You know, Wendy does the covers, I believe, but Sunny does all the colors on the interior. And so, you know, you had mentioned earlier with the uh, with the cards, the Comicsology uh, All Star Comic Creator cards that you were trying to, you know, represent all facets. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, I want to give Sunny a shout out because the colors are. Um, are pretty awesome. And going back to my question about, you know, what are some of the changes that you're seeing in Final Quest versus other ElfQuest art over the years? Um, what 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 my take is is that when I when I look at the art in Final Quest, what I see is uh, a maturity and, definitely and an artist that has figured out from you know lots of experience how to how how to how to pull off a satisfying book. And, you know, so in other words, you know, Wendy's not doing the all of the scritchy, scratchy inking the way that she did in the original quest, which probably took I can't even imagine how much time. Um, and I feel like the characters do have a, 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 a maybe a looser quality than than, say, back in the early 80s or the late 70s. They're a little bit more fluid and and almost animated. And it, to me, it's just like the perfect balance of of taking that some of those older styles and those. Uh, Bernie Wrightson influenced, you know, darker, heavy, maybe slightly more realistic inking to um, and, and employing a, a sense of, you know, Wendy's really uh, great sense of of animation and movement and creating these characters that are that are uh, they're informed by cartoonism without being cartoony, if that makes sense. Definitely. And, and yeah. again, to me, like it, 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 I guess when I say maturity, I mean, it, it seems like Wendy has has through all of her experience figured out like where she needs to be in in making ElfQuest art and that's like a really satisfying thing for me to to see that happen on the page no it's true they're they're very slick they're very polished and I actually wonder and you know so I um I was an an art historian back in my previous life before I worked at Comixology and you know you sometimes have to be careful not to read too much into something that really was just a matter of circumstance and (laughs) (laughs) and you know so so like on one hand you could probably write this whole thesis about what it means that they're so much you know more mature and polished now but but it also may just simply be a function of you know she's working digitally now she's had all of this time to refine them or even just something as simple as back in the day it was a two-person operation and she kind of you know maybe just had to get them done when she needed to get them done right. whereas now they have you know a lot more support in terms of publishing and production and she could just focus on drawing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's a really good point because yes we we elfquest fans myself in particular are definitely prone to over analysis sometimes so <laughs> right and you know not that it's a bad thing because ultimately i think the way that something is read and understood by the audience whether it's put there by the artist to be purposefully interpreted or whether it's a matter of circumstance like it's still there you know and um i think that the more earthy style of of things in the beginning does lend something to the storytelling and to the tone that that really belongs there but i think that for the the more abstract themes that the elves are are sort of 
working through in Final Quest, it does. It is nice to have the the, the more smooth, polished style. The other thing that I like about it, the fact that you know maybe some of the style, stylistic changes and evolution in the look of ElfQuest is I think that's so important for, for you know to see a comic that is 40 years old you know how it reflects the time in which it's being published and Wendy and Richard have managed to do that both in the story and you know in, in this case the art uh, on Wendy's part uh, in a way that it like so perfectly seems to balance you know the the natural need to evolve the kind of the look and style as looks and styles and trends kind of happen and I hate to even use the word trend, but but while at the same time keeping a level of consistency, so that you always know Cutter when you see Cutter, you always right. know Lita when you see Lita. Even though, again, if you look at Lita as drawn in 1978 versus Lita as drawn in 1983 versus 89 versus 2003, they're they're going to look different, you know, and they're going to have well, different clothes and they're going to be done in slightly different styles, but they're always Lita. This goes back to what Richard and Wendy talked about on the panel with the idea that, you know, change is a part of life. It's a, and, and it's a part of the story. And so it, it wouldn't make any sense for them, not just in terms of character and in story, you know, things like costume, but the style, you know, it makes sense for everything to have evolved. That idea of fluidity and openness is really just kind of at the core of, of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, just to just to bring it back again to the panel, something that they talked about that was really interesting to hear kind of um, in terms of this, I don't know, I guess you could describe it as fluidity, is their, their relationship on the production end of things and being being partners versus being publisher and, and author and how that relationship kind of moved in, moved in and out as they, as they went on through the years making this book. I, something that, that was just really nice, just made me happy to see was how, how lovely they are to each other. You know, they, uh, they, they're patient. They they take turns answering the questions. They let each other speak. They listen to each other. They're so supportive of each other. And that's it was so nice to know that that these creators who made something that meant a lot to me and meant a lot to other people, that they feel responsible for that and also for each other. Yeah. No, I mean <laughs> Wendy and Richard are, are pretty awesome. And I have the pleasure of kind of knowing them personally. And um, everything that you just said is is totally true. And, you know, I'll add to it, too. They don't always agree on everything. And so, no, no. <laughs> and, and, and I think that, that that's so like they still have that love and respect for each other, even though they don't always agree. And in fact, do you remember what Wendy said when, when you asked that question about their, their kind of working oh, relationship? Oh, yes. Do, do you I want hate to tell my it? publisher. <laughs> I want to talk to my husband. Exactly. You know, so for those of you that weren't there, you know, Wendy, one of Wendy's responses to this was that, you know, over the years, she's, you know, she's had to, they, they both have had to navigate the fact that they are a husband and a wife, but also a, a publisher and an artist and, and, you know, kind of a boss and, you know, somebody who is responsible for creating something that the boss needs on a deadline. And Wendy said there, there have definitely been times over the years where she has looked at Richard and said, I hate my publisher. 
I need to talk to my husband. <laughs> and it's just, it's so cute. And um, the fact that they can share stories like that with us, just, it makes them real people. And, um, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, they, they're not the kind of creators who just say, well, I make my art, you guys, you guys take it from here. You know, they're, they're really involved in the fan engagement. And they're really open with how they've kind of evolved over the years, along with ElfQuest and along with the fandom. And I think they called us their grandchildren, which was very touching, because <laughs> of course, the elves are their children. Yes, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's, it's really, it, it makes it feel very safe to be having these kinds of conversations, knowing that Wendy and Richard are, are cognizant of the fact that, that these conversations are going on and that they mean a lot to the people who read ElfQuest. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, ElfQuest really is, it, like the story is about family and there's such a wonderful sense of family among among the fans and, and honestly even the professionals that, um, that I have seen that, you know, at a place like San Diego Comic-Con, you know, interacting with Wendy and Richard and... They really are. It's so nice to see how sort of beloved they are, you know, both professionally and, and from the fandom and, and to each other. And it's just, you know, it's a whole bunch of big warm fuzzies. It really is. I ended up going out to dinner with these people I'd never known before. And we just sort of, it was after your panel, actually. And uh, I we just were hanging around talking. And it was like, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? Let's go have dinner. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> That's really awesome. So, uh, and they, they were people that were at the panel. Yes. Awesome. Well, so since you uh, mentioned that panel, for folks that don't know, um, after Tia's Comixology panel on Thursday, on Saturday, I helped moderate a panel with Wendy and Richard called ElfQuest Countdown to Final Quest, which is sort of a little bit of an overview of of how, like, what's, like, from the beginning to, to now, what's going on how they got to Final Quest and some teasers from Wendy and Richard and then we did a Q&A. So that panel, we were able to successfully record. And, oh, good. Um, that, <laughs> I know, right? That, um, but by the time this podcast airs, because I'm not sure how quickly I'm going to be able to get my the editing done on it to get it up, but um, the, the video of that panel um, may or may not be online yet, but it will, if it's not, when you are listening to this, it will be at some point in the near future. So be on the lookout for that. And, um, you know, a totally different conversation happened there. So I'm really glad that even though we couldn't record Tia, your panel, that you and I are having uh, the opportunity to chat about it right now so that everybody that couldn't be there could have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of feeling of, of participating um, even if it's just via, just via the podcast or the video. Um, so with that said, we're, um, we're we're cruising a little bit over an hour. Normally, my these podcasts go for like ages and ages, but I want to be respectful of your time. So I don't know if you had any other, um, you know, things that you wanted to share about the experience of putting the panel together or any of the responses that Wendy and Richard had to your or Matt's questions that we haven't covered. You know, I, I think that we've kind of gotten into the gist of it the there were there were about four or five moments during that panel where we legitimate matt and i looked at each other and we're like we're gonna cry right now it just <laughs> you know we called it an intimate conversation but we couldn't have known that that was actually going to be what happened and it that is what happened i feel like the 
the conversation that we had was really about, you know, what Wendy and Richard wanted for ElfQuest as as a thing that exists in the world and that people engage with. You know, they want it to be uh, a kind of an example of of openness and and of how the how the world works and that it isn't always perfect and that things are not black and white but these the things that are important are family and self and and having your place in the world and you know i think that all of the questions of the conversation really revolved around that it made me so sad when when wendy talked about how it feels like they're kind of fighting the same fights that they were 40 years ago in the world yeah and but i think that you know, for people to have books like ElfQuest, it it helps it helps you to kind of I don't know keep faith or or to keep fighting. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can very much relate to that. I mean, you know, the the world is um, without going down that path. You know, there's some troubling things going on, and and as Wendy said on the panel back when they were creating ElfQuest, you know, it kind of grew out of the the like the '70s and kind of, you know, free love and, and, and sort of the whole hippie mentality of environmentalism and, and, you know, equality and all of that. And that it's shocking to Wendy and Richard that we have in many ways made great strides in all those things, but in many ways have taken six steps backwards and they never would have expected that. But to your point, Tia, I think the fact that they can represent the light in the world um, via ElfQuest and that we can all connect through that and, and be inspired by that and share that with each other is is a pretty incredible thing. Absolutely. And I really have to just, you know, thank my colleagues at Comixology for putting this panel on because part of the reason why I really wanted to work there is because I felt like it, it was it, it was a the best place to to affect positive change in comics and to kind of let people discover that they are actually comics fans, even if they don't know it yet. And for Comixology to be so open to doing a panel like this, I think, I I hope that that people will um, will recognize that Comixology is is a you know it's open to everybody. We have something for everyone, and we really want everyone to feel like they can find their their thing there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm super thankful to Comixology, A, for, you know, carrying Dark Horse and for (laughs) specifically carrying ElfQuest and just giving fans out there another avenue through which they can experience ElfQuest. Um, And, you know, super, super thankful to you and to Matt for doing honestly just such an amazing job at putting this together and and creating, uh, you know, again, sort of a a feeling of family and tribe in that room when we were just listening to your Q&A with Wendy and Richard and you know, hearing their answers and everything. It really was a great panel. And I hope that, you know, there's more opportunity to do these kinds of things in the future. Um, you know, maybe next year at San Diego Comic-Con, which, um, you know, next year will be Final Quest will have completed. And it'll it's the it'll be the uh, the 40th anniversary of ElfQuest. And I know Wendy and Richard are planning on really celebrating all year long. And they're going to be doing lots of appearances. And I think, though, San Diego Comic-Con being what it is, sort of, you know, kind of the biggest spectacle in the world of comics and things like that. Um, I think they really want that one to be special. So let's, um, you know, let's think about maybe doing something else together. And, um, and, you know, maybe we'll be able to create something as awesome as the panel that you guys did this year. I'm happy to be involved in any and all ElfQuest celebrations. 
Fabulous. So before <laughs> we go, um, tell everybody who's listening, um, you know, where they can, like, where to go to find Comicsology and any social media pages that they should follow yours or Matt's or, or, um, you know, Comicsologies or, or, you know, where, where should people go to, to get more info and to get connected? Oh, great. Well, I mean, comicsology.com is where you can go to set up an account. You can use your Amazon account and you can sync it up and it's really easy to get started. You can start your, uh, for U.S. residents, Comixology Unlimited free trial, 30 days. Uh, it's a great deal. And um, Or you could just, you know, subscribe to the Final Quest so you don't have to worry about remembering when to log on to pick it up. We are on Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook. And so you can, you know, find Comixology uh, on those platforms. Uh, Matt and I are both on Twitter. I am at Portrait of Madam X, that's M-M-E-X, you know, hearkening back to my art historian days. (laughs) And uh, Matt is at Slim on on Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I... I think that is an awesome handle at slim. It's simple. I think he, it's yeah. <laughs> he gets, he gets a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, messages asked for, of people asking if they can buy it from him. I think <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah. It's a, it's a great handle. Um, all right. Well, I am, I'm following you guys now. And so um, I, I, I'm just so thrilled that we get to meet because of this panel because, Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, we're, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. And if you, ever have any thoughts or ideas on you know other podcasts you want to do ElfQuest related just let me know and um, you know we're all part of the big old tribe well if you're ever in New York let me know maybe we can plan a field trip to Columbia University Library and have a look at the Peeny archives done and maybe we can, <laughs> maybe we can record that experience Oh, that would be fun. Okay, guys. So now I'm getting really excited um, because I'm in New York frequently, and um, and I will be actually in the next couple of weeks. So so let's um, we'll take the conversation offline, but um, right. we'll leave everybody listening with that delightful little um, tease of what may may come to be. So uh, with that said, Tia, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for the panel, and everybody out there, go check out Comicsology. We'll see you next time. Thanks, David. <laughs>